This is Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup on Backheel.com with your hosts, Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. It's Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup at Backheel.com. We have the three-man booth. We have the Super Voltron going on tonight on Seeing Red. Mark Fishkin here, Dave Martinez, Dan Dickinson, the three of us here to talk about the first win of the season for the New York Red Bulls, 2-0 on Sunday against the hated scum that is D.C. United. We have the MLS Player of the Week, hello, in Bradley Wright Phillips with a goal and an assist. Tonight on Seeing Red, we'll go inside the, the win over D.C., And D.C. folks did not look very good during this game. And New York made them look even worse. We're going to give our bull and cow of the week. We're going to preview Columbus, which is coming up this Saturday at 7.30 p.m. We're going to talk to the captain of the New York Red Bulls, Dax McCarty, on what life under Jesse Marsh is all about. And lots of praise for his team and ways uh, the team can even improve. And then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll answer some voicemails for the first time. That's right. The new the Seeing Red voicemail line is open 24 hours a day for uh, for your thoughts on the Red Bulls. We'll get to that in our third segment. So, a lot going on. Very, very, very happy after a week off to have a game to review. New York, home crowd, not the largest we've ever seen. Very vocal. Supported the, the team. 2 nothing. Uh, a great victory, two very, very classy goals, and New York completely bossed DC around the pitch. Dave Martinez, your thoughts on the game, please. Well, it's a week that we can't use high tempo soccer as a punchline, right? I mean, <laughs> what we, not a not a punchline, not a punchline this week. It, it was a. Uh, I, I think if anybody came out of a, win- a winner out of this, it's Jesse Marsh. Uh, the team looked solid from beginning to end. And look, I'll preface it by saying that DC United was obviously hobbled going into the match. Uh, having said that, the the way that the, especially the front four, the interchange that was going on there, Bradley Wright, Phillips, uh, the high press, Dax McCarty and Felipe in the middle, there are so many good points that we could talk about here. Even the substitutions towards the end of the match, bringing on Dane Richards and seeing him, Lloyd Sam, and Bradley Wright Phillips just intertwine and attack that DC defense. It is, and at that moment was probably a, a, a Red Bull fanboy's wet dream over the last few years, right? They have that kind of speed, that kind of power. Uh, it was a great match. It was a great match. Again, as you said, the crowd was a bit light, and I guess we can get into that later, but they were into it. And by the end of the night, it seemed that finally, for the first time since the off season, the soccer really was what mattered. The football is what mattered. And I think New York fans and the team needed that, needed this kind of a performance and needed that kind of a result uh, to bring that under perspective once again. Dan, what do you take away from a dominant home performance against a uh, against your biggest rival? I mean, it's it's a big lift to the team, and as as Dave was saying, after such a, a rocky off season, and even under the the metaphorical cloud of the protest that started the game, you know, getting that result, keeping the clean sheet, um, putting in a very solid ninety minutes, uh, goes a long way to battering back narratives about the team being dead. You know, Jesse had talked uh, earlier in the off season about the team playing with a chip on their shoulders, and I, I could almost see it. Um, I thought the attacking you know, was fantastic. And, you know, Dave mentioned uh, DC missing a couple of key pieces. So were the Red Bulls, you know, uh, Ronald Zubar and Roy Miller were missing out of the back line and you had a a young 
Matt Miazga and a, uh, a taxi because I'm blanking on his name right now, unfortunately. <laughs> Kamar Lawrence. There we Kamar go. Kamar Lawrence. Kamar Lawrence. Yes. You know, drop, yes. drop a young taxi. I like a that. young taxi. Oh boy, I'm not going to let that down. Um, but you know, the the back line held up well. Damien Perrinel looked good uh, for the most part, and uh, Chris Duvall came in came up big, and and you know, plenty of players were coming back to play defense, but there was also this nice high-pressure press. Uh, that I, I was really struck by the turnover that Felipe uh, forced yep. on Davy Arnault in midfield that, that led to that second goal. That was some, That's something I can't recall ever really seeing out of this team in the past. Absolutely. It, it's interesting to note, and it was a, kind of a surprise stat on the TV broadcast, the New York Red Bulls, since 2012, have the best home record in Major League Soccer. And over the years, I think we've kind of taken for granted, the fans have taken for granted, that Red Bull Arena, I mean, we joke about and spoken many times about making Red Bull Arena a fortress. Since 2012, the club is 33-7-12 at Red Bull Arena, the best in the league. And I think you, you really got a sense of the volume of the support even as we said, not a, not a full house by any stretch. Lots and lots of uh, of no shows, but the South Ward was into it. While they certainly weren't always aligned in what they were saying, the crowd was into it, and I, I think the crowd really, really responded to this uh, up tempo playing style and really got behind the club. I think the crowd definitely responded to that, Mark. It was um, and a credit to Jesse Marsh and the, and the Red Bulls for their performance in doing so. And I guess you touched on it a little bit. You know, we do have to talk a, a, at least a bit about the protest in the beginning of, uh, of the match, first 12 minutes, uh, ESC at full voice from the first second, which I thought was uh, a funny juxtaposition from the TIFO honoring the legends to legends deserve better. Uh, that was very clever uh, yep. on, on the part of 101. And uh, again, you know, not everybody was united in the effort. Uh, and everyone's allowed to express themselves in any way they see fit. We spoke about that last week when a fan had uh, had written us about uh, the fan experience and how this may dampen it. Well, it didn't. You know, they made their statement. What effect that statement will have is certainly dubious. You don't really know what the after, mix, uh, after effects of that will be. But uh, it was said, it was done, and the rest of the time it was all about hating DC. As a matter of fact, I thought it was kind of – it was the right move, actually, in the South Ward that the minute the 12th minute was done – uh, they immediately began with "We are the DC haters," and it, it just got back to football. You know, we're we're done with the drama of the off season and everything that went wrong and things that could have been done better. And right now, what we're seeing is a positive start. I'm not ready to coronate uh, Jesse Marsh as the king of Harrison quite yet, but this is a proper first step. And we always talk about that. You know, being New York, you have to make that right first impression. He did it. The team did it. Uh, I, I thought it was a fantastic performance. Yeah, and and as we talked about last week, the, the media coverage of the game was certainly a bit sparser than what we saw the previous week, but I don't think anyone's surprised at that. Got, got a nice, um, you know, a couple of pieces in the city's newspaper press just about uh, more than the game story, just about the culture of soccer, and yes, there are two teams, and um, nice piece by Canizaro in the post, uh, building off of Brian Lewis's game story, just about how, you know, new coach and new opportunity to make a first impression, so certainly a positive step. Um, and, and let's be honest, folks, n- neither of the two goals by the Red Bulls made the uh, made the list of nominees for goal 
of the week, which for my money is a bit of a travesty. And I know that that had been the case earlier when Lloyd Sam's goal, but Sam's uh, tally was an absolute blast. I mean, short side on what I think many people think is a quality keeper like uh, Bill Hamid uh, really deserved a little more recognition across the league. Couldn't, couldn't agree more, Mark. Um, and, and just going back to what you were saying about the media coverage, I was actually surprised uh, that the press box was pretty full, the, the locker room and the post-mass press conference. You know, there, there was certainly media in attendance. I, I would agree that it wasn't to the level of what we saw at that other home opener. But, um, you know, it, it was a, a lively atmosphere, uh, certainly in the, in the media side of the house. Dad, we were, we were standing on the outside of the media work area because there was no room in there to walk. So there was, yeah. a, tre- there was a tremendous media presence, I thought. And, I, uh, you know, it's quite telling considering everybody's trying to find their narratives early on this and uh, piggybacking on what the Red Bull and NYCFC rivalry is going to be throughout the season. It's just nice to see that kind of attention, to be in, in the same pit looking at Mark Canazaro and just it just uh, I felt like I was it was an episode of the Twilight Zone. I couldn't believe it, but good. I mean, look, this is what we need, right? We need more of that media coverage. You need more of these sidebar stories. Brian Lewis always breaking down barriers and uh, and the New York Post, the Bondies, because you have to call them the Bondies, right? The, the Bondies were there at Red Bull at Red Bull Arena, and they also I, I turned out a mo- few pieces. Dave, I think you have to say Medal of Nowhere if you're talking about the Bondies. <laughs> mm. <laughs> They look. I mean, we have that going on now. We have more media coverage and increased eyes. It going to last forever? Absolutely not. But hey, you know, this is a fresh start for everybody, which is something that was a theme last week as well. This is a fresh start. Let's see where the team goes from here and where the coverage goes from here. It's almost a shame when you think about it that the team is going to be away for a month. Because, I, I mean, I guess you could argue that one positive step is it will certainly be warmer. Because if it's not warmer by Friday, April 17th, I think you're going to see mass suicides across the entire tri-state Well, area hold on, hold on, because next week they, everybody gets to see Tyler Adams take on... All right, we're, we'll, we'll get to the baby bulls or or the baby bull Just the one. Uh, <laughs> later in the show. But nevertheless, you know, they, they took that, um, that April 4th game and they shifted it to later to give Montreal a little bit of a break in the Champions League. And now the team goes an entire month without a home game. And they're going to do that a couple of times during the season. The season, the schedule has been very, very strange. They go from May 24th to June 20th without a home game. They go from July 11th to August 9th without a home game. So we're, we're going to see this season uh, lots of games real close close together, and then buckets of time apart. It's just going to be odd. But um, nevertheless, let's go to bull and cow. Dan Dickinson, mm. your bull for uh, the win over D.C. United. I have to give it to Bradley Wright Phillips. Uh, the goal, the assist, the key passing, the, the, he, he looked like a man transformed. Can't, can't think of anybody else to give it to him. Dave, confirm? Bradley Henri Phillips, absolutely. Now, why? Now, okay. <laughs> Listen. You, while I was not in the locker room, one certainly got the sense of the coverage that Brad doesn't really want to be hearing about Henri for too much longer, uh, if ever. Uh, no, not at all. Uh, the minute no. I even brought up his name, it's hey, BWP, you had a great goal there, kind of Henri-esque. He just kind of uh, gave me a deadpan uh, look. It's like, just yeah. don't ever mention my name along his ever again. I don't belong there. Dave, you should, have very... mentioned, you should have mentioned Tim Cahill. <laughs> which was a narrative uh, that Dan was trying to stir up. It's like, hey, nobody's talking about Tim today. No, they, yeah, they weren't. Well, but well, Henri okay. was 
present, though not actually once a metro. I got to give it to them because it really made me laugh. Did you guys catch that gif? Yeah, yep. that, that the ghost of Henri. So kudos to you guys, even though one of your staff kind of got mouthy with me in Twitter. Fix that, but kudos to you guys. <laughs> So unanimous for BWP <laughs> as Bull of the Week. And Dave, let's go to you first for your cow. Cow? I mean, who do you point to in this performance? It was a complete team performance. Uh, the cows should really be the people that just didn't show up to the match. Uh, you know, announcing 21,000, uh, expecting 21,000, hoping, hoping there would be more seats for this kind of affair. And uh, to see far less than that, probably 15 to 17 out there is just, it was a bit disappointing, though, have to say the Red Bull fans were really into it and they created an awesome atmosphere. So I'll give it to the no shows. Mr. Dickinson. Uh, I'm going to give it to Delaware North for their wonderful service during halftime that kept everybody out of their seats when the second half kicked off. Wow. Not so good. I had a a personal experience that I will share going uh, with my son before the game, walking up to one of the food stands in the South Ward, uh, ordering my food, and the gentleman behind the counter, no surprise, it was his first time. Wouldn't you know it? His first time there. (laughs) And he couldn't find the button on his cash register for water. So we watched him for about two minutes look up and down the cash register. I attempted to pay with my red card and was told, I don't know how to do that. The supervisor did not know how to make it work, although, to his credit, he then threw us a free uh, bag of Cracker Jack, like, here, you know, for your troubles, which, okay, I don't think that would have happened maybe a year ago. And I know that a lot has been made out of the team that they're very, very focused on improving um, the, the customer service from Delaware North. So that was nice, but as usual, I mean, I just want to go to the arena once and not hear, oh, it's my first day, hee hee, giggle, giggle. I just, I can't, I can't. Was it that he said hee hee, giggle, giggle? I mean, that's fair. No, but, but <laughs> I, when, when you know that you can hop the counter and just go boop, 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 subtotal pay oh. faster than he can, it's just tough. But I'm going to give uh, my cow to Chris Pontius for skying that PK at the end. Or that, or was it Boswell that stomped on Chris Duval? Uh, I, I think it was Boswell Wait, who, kitchen. who did the stomp. Wasn't was it, it Kitchen? Was it Harry Kitchen that did the stomp? Okay, DC we'll Stomper. DC Stomper. DC Stomper. You know, it's late in the game, you're going to lose, it's injury time, and the, the DC player that stomped on poor Chris Duval's uh, foot while the PK was being taken. I certainly hope that the disco uh, finds that and gives a fine or a suspension or something because that was really bush league. And I know not putting it past DC players to be bush league, but really, really not cool. Okay, let's shift focus whoa, now. Whoa, to whoa, col- hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I know that we're out of practice, but what happened to the moo? <laughs> Thank you. First, my daughter's looking at me, shaking her head like no. <laughs> No, that wasn't a good enough moo? No. Much better. Even Uh, worse, she says. I love producer. All right. Uh, New York plays Columbus this Saturday at 7.30 p.m. on on MSG2. I encourage you to find MSG2 now on your cable system because it's not MSG+. It's MSG2. Uh, Columbus is one and one. They were off last week. They lost at Houston one nothing on the seventh, and then they beat Toronto two nothing on the fourteenth with goals by Justin Merrim, 
who will be away with the Iraqi national team, and by a return Kay uh, Kamara, who has returned to the team. Uh, obviously, when you're talking about Columbus, you're going to talk about Iguain, who continues to pull the strings there. He's been joined by another RG Grania, who's uh, playing right back for them. Michael Parkhurst, of course. Will Trapp has been called up to the U23 team in Europe, but he will not leave uh, Columbus before this match. So he certainly will play. Waylon Francis, the start, usual starting left back, has been called up to Jamaica, and he will not play in this match. So um, in terms in terms of Columbus, all time, New York is 13-16-4 in Columbus, which is actually a pretty good away record when you consider the history. They did win, um, not last year, but in 2013 they did win in Columbus on May 4th when Tim Cahill scored the only goal in a one nothing, uh shutout. So, you know, for, for Columbus, it's all about Iguain and the Kamara connection um, and trying to make that work. Tony Chani, of course, former Metro, has found a home in Columbus. And, you know, Columbus is in year two under Greg Berhalter. They also play the four... Uh, two, three, one. It'll be interesting to see how this uh, pulls together. Um, Dan, what do you think about what we might see in Columbus? Uh, you know, early signs out of Columbus have been that they are pretty strong this year. They they certainly battered uh, Toronto during their home opener uh, what was that, two weeks ago. Yeah. And you know, I think that their their core is very young. Um, they've got some good talent in Iguain and Kamara, and it, it's it's going to be a challenge, especially for a uh, a back line that still, you know, looked fine against DC, but is still trying to work everything out and, and get some uh, rhythm going. So I, I think it'll be a tough challenge, but I think the team might be up for it if they can pull out a, another result like they did in DC. Of course, Dave, the, the Red Bulls are going to be without Roy Miller once again, and Zubar, I guess, may or may not play after, uh, frankly, a, a masterful job by young Matt Miazga, other than, than conceding the PK, did very, very well. What is New York going to be looking like during the match, and you know, how do you think New York's going to be able to handle uh, Columbus Crew? It's interesting to hear uh, Jesse Marsh's options past uh, Kamar Lawrence and Roy Miller. I mean, this is going to be an issue come the Gold Cup. We talked about it just last show. Um, what looks to be the option now is a Connor Lead possibly coming in. If they sign Anthony Wallace on time uh, for the match, he may be an option as well, former uh, MLS player and last with Tampa Bay Rowdies. So that would be an interesting experiment for one match. Everybody's going to be thinned out this week, right? It's going to be a tough one for everybody. Uh, but at the fullback positions where they excelled so greatly against D.C., they're going to be hampered. I, I, I'm a believer in Connor Lade. I think uh, the rest of the show here, I could speak for us in saying that, uh, you know, we definitely value the kind of player he is. So yep. hopefully it goes over to uh, to Lade. He gets to prove what he can do once again, and uh, that'll be enough cover for, for Columbus. Columbus has really put together a UN of players. They have an Austrian in uh, Emmanuel Pogatetz. They have an Icelander in Kristen Steinjorsen. Um, and they have a stadium that now has a name. Is, is it Mapfrey? I thought it was Mapfire when I first it, saw it. It's I don't pronounced Mapfrey. Oh, excuse <laughs> the, me. The P is silent, apparently. 
that's well, you know, it's pretty sophisticated out there, Columbus. So that doesn't surprise me that they're using a silent P. That's <laughs> uh, ridiculous. Okay, so prediction time for Columbus. So Dan, let's hear your prediction. Uh, what's going to happen Saturday night at Columbus Crew Stadium? Uh, I think it'll be a pretty low-scoring affair, all told, uh, with with a lot of key pieces out on both sides. Um, it might be might be a little less free flowing than we saw last week, so I'm going to go with a one one draw. One one draw, which I'm sure New York would definitely take on the road. Uh, after getting schooled by Mr. Martinez, after laughing at his prediction that New York would completely blow out, uh, rather that uh, the New York backline would be unable to contain DC United, obviously an inform Columbus is going to be a little more difficult to handle, especially with Higuain. Um, they're going to be playing a similar formation, and they're not going to straight up front in a 4-4-2 like we saw out of D.C., and I think that, that may give New York a little bit of trouble. But I think what I saw out of the the, the uh, triumvirate in the middle of the midfield with Dax and Sasha and Felipe, I think we're going to see a little bit more than that. I'm um, going to say that New York's going to win 2-1 to one on the road, and um, New York will climb even further up the power rankings as uh, we move deeper into the season. I will tell you, folks, power rankings are a fun thing. Everyone loves power rankings, but Sports Illustrated and Liveu Bird put the Red Bulls at 12th in the league, despite their undefeated record at 1-0-1. Not so great from the pro-rel zealot over there at Sports Illustrated. Not, not, not great. Dan, before we go to break, let's just talk briefly. Um, there is an, a team that will be playing their home opener Saturday at Red Bull Arena at 2 o'clock, and that's the New York Red Bulls 2, opening their, their first USL season 2 o'clock against the Rochester Rhinos. And when I say baby bulls, I mean baby bull, because as of 9.51 on, uh, on Tuesday night, four days before the team's first game, they still have one player, and that's Tyler Adams. I mean, he's a very versatile forward midfielder, defender, goalkeeper. <laughs> um, he's great off the bench three times in a row. Um, and he's really going to take it by himself to, to Rochester, I'm sure, on Saturday. Uh, Tyler Adams is, frankly, a wonderful, wonderful story for the franchise. Tyler has been playing in the academy since the under-13 team. He played every match for uh, CONCACAF U-17 qualifying as a defender and is making the leap to the professional ranks with the Red Bulls 2 team. Uh, We obviously expect by Saturday afternoon that there will be an entire squad of players, some of which will be young young players from the first team, that will take the field with Tyler against the Rochester Rhinos. We just don't know who they are yet. So Saturday, 2 p.m., Red Bull Arena. Tickets, I believe, are $10. $10 to see, really, the stars of tomorrow. So if you are free and want to make it a day-night doubleheader of Red Bull 2 at home and then going uh, to a watch party to watch the Red Bulls on the road... Uh, I encourage you to do that. When uh, well, We're going to take a quick break now, but when we come back, we'll have the Red Bulls captain, Dax McCarty. It's seeing red at backheel.com. You're listening to Seeing Red with Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. Seeing Red at backheel.com, Super Voltron edition, Mark Fishkin, Dan Dickinson, and Dave Martinez, all three of us here to talk to 
frankly, if there's one player on this team that personifies the grit, the up-tempo, everything that new coach Jesse Marsh is looking for, it's tonight's guest, and that's midfielder and team captain, Dax McCarty. How are you tonight, Dax? Uh, well, thank you, guys. I'm, I'm very good. I uh, appreciate that. Uh, well, we're, we're very, very happy to have you back on the show. Let's, uh, let's start, Dax. D.C., obviously, big rivalry game, always very intense, um, but it seemed that this D.C. team was kind of a shell of the team that you guys fought through to get uh, through them in the playoffs last year. Did you guys feel that it was, while certainly not an easy game, that they had a little bit something missing from last year's playoffs? Um, maybe a little bit. Uh, I, I think they were definitely um, surprised by the way we played. I think that it's pretty much the same team that they had last year. Um, obviously, same coaching staff, most of the same players. Um, you know, they were missing, uh, you know, a few of a few important guys. Um, you know, Fabian was suspended, Eddie Johnson, Luis Silva, a couple guys that certainly are a big part of their team. Um, but at the same time, I think it was more down to, to us and to what we did to them. Um, I certainly think that we played a lot better than we did against Kansas City. It was our home opener. It was a very important game for, for our team, for our fans. And I think D.C. was just kind of a little bit shell-shocked in, in how we pressed and how we played and, um, you know, the way that we went about our business. And so uh, I certainly uh, expected a little bit more out of them. But that being said, um, I would like to, you know, give our team a little bit of credit in, you know, kind of nullifying their uh, – you know their their effect on the game, so to speak. Well, the team definitely deserves credit, of course, and a lot of that credit falls on the uh, the tandem there in the middle between yourself and Felipe, Sasha Kleschen. Uh The midfield in general was uh, was clicking on all cylinders. Uh, when you look at a match like this weekend, uh, I mean, the drive to succeed did that stem from the fact that this was the first time you were at Red Bull Arena as captain of the club? I mean, that's something that uh, it must be a, a huge honor for yourself. It is. It is. It is a huge honor. It's something that I take a lot of pride in. I've said, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Um, you know, this club has an extremely rich history, and some of the footsteps that I'm following in um, as captain of this team are, are very, very big. Uh, you know, Bigfoot-sized footsteps. And um, I certainly, I certainly am my own man. I'm my own captain, and I have, you know, my own beliefs and, and ways of wanting to lead, but. You know, I'd be lying if, if I told you guys I, I didn't take little things here and there from, um, you know, some of the veteran guys and obviously the, the captain that was here before me, um, Thierry. I mean, it's uh, it's impossible not to learn from, from guys that we've had on this team before. Uh, so certainly with it being our home opener, uh, with a lot of, you know, a lot of change happening within the organization, a lot of uncertainty going forward, I think mainly from, you know, the fans and media perspective, um, you know, the home opener was, was a very big game for a lot of different reasons. Uh, and it was a big game for us as players because, you know, we always feel like we have something to prove. But I think especially at home uh, after an off season of a lot of uh, change and uncertainty, uh, the first game in front of your fans, you know, it's, it's sort of the, the first time to, to make your first impression on them again, you know. And we certainly wanted to make a good first impression and win the game. And we won the game, and I thought we played fairly well in the process. Definitely. Dex, uh, talk a little bit more about that midfield tandem, the partnership with Sasha and Felipe, because I think uh, you guys won a lot of plaudits for basically 
running the, the midfield over DC? Well, it's easy to play with, with good players. And I go back to saying that because uh, when you play with, with players um, that know the game and that are more than just athletes or, you know, uh, one-dimensional players, guys, guys of that nature, when you play with guys that have very good soccer brains and guys that have such a high IQ uh, and, and appetite for the game, it's, it makes the game it makes the game easy for for all of us. And so, Sasha and Felipe have come in and, and they've proven that they're you know some of the best players that uh, we could have brought into this team. Now you know let's rewind and, and go back and, and talk about a guy like Eric Alexander who I had a, a great relationship with and I felt the, the exact same way about playing with him. Um, so it's a shame we had to lose him, but in essence you know you lose Eric and you gain Felipe and Sasha. Um, you certainly feel like uh, you know, the team got better in that respect. Um, but at the same time, we're still getting to know each other. I still think that while we, we're playing better uh, as a unit in the middle, I still think we have a, a lot more levels to uh, to go and to get better. So those guys are, are, are very good players. They make my job in the middle a lot easier, and I hope uh, I make their job easier as well. So this is a partnership that, uh, you know, we hope keeps growing. And we're certainly going to work hard to make sure that uh, we win the midfield battle every single game. Dax, can you uh, share with our listeners what is Jesse asking you to do this year that perhaps uh, was not the case last year? And I'm not asking you to compare the coaches, but just your role um, and where you fit in the system, how that's different uh, this year from last year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think the main area... Uh, is just defensively our our pressure up the field. Um, you know, as a as a defensive midfielder um, last year, I think it was mainly to you know my job was mainly to put out fires um, after our initial line of pressure was broken and to protect the back four. You know, make sure you're the last line of defense in front of the the, the back four and try to um, you know win the ball before they entered into the attacking half. And I think now with Jesse, um, you know, my role is still the same, but it just happens a lot higher up the field. And that's down to our team philosophy. And our team philosophy is we, we want to suffocate teams. We don't want to let teams breathe. We don't want to let teams get a rhythm uh, by being able to play the ball around the back into the midfield, work the ball methodically up the field to the forwards and, and get chances. Uh, that's something that, uh, you know, we're just not going to do this year. So, my job is essentially the same, but I just have to do it a lot higher up the field. Um, and I have a lot more license, uh, you know, to go and press guys high up the pitch because my defenders know that, you know, if our forwards go to pressure defenders, I have to be right behind them. Sasha, Felipe, Lloyd, uh, Sal Zizzo, Mike Grella, we all have to be right behind Bradley um, if he's going to step up and, and start high-pressing teams. So, I think that, you know, that balance and that defensive cover, um, maybe it's not going to be so deep uh, like it was last year, and it's going to happen a lot higher up the field. Um, that's certainly something that Jesse has stressed uh, numerous times in preseason. It's something I like because it helps. It means that when we win the ball, the perfect example is, is the second goal we scored against D.C. United. I mean, this, this type of goal, um, you know, that's the type of goal that we want to see a lot of this year. Win the ball quickly in midfield, be able to have one or two passes and, and have a guy in on goal. So that's a, a perfect example of, of the types of roles that the guys in the middle of the field have. 
And speaking of uh, of the new roles, I mean, Jesse Marsh is uh, to a man, to a player, you ask about the changes because it's only natural uh, year over year to see what has gone differently. And uh, some of the things you hear are about the attention to detail communication. So what is your take on Jesse Marsh as a coach? If you were to do scouting, let's say, for the fan base and want to know a little bit more about their head men, what is Jesse Marsh like? What is he as a coach? Yeah, Jesse Jesse's a very bright guy. Um you know, he's not a guy who, uh, you know, relies solely on his assistant coaches for feedback and for help. He's a guy who goes around to every single player on the field. He goes every training session and, and talks to guys, and he wants he wants feedback from players uh, about how training sessions are going, about how they feel about, um, you know, not just soccer, about every aspect of, of how we do things as a team. Um, on the field stuff, off the field stuff, yoga, weight room sessions, treatment, um, he's a guy that likes to be involved in, in every single aspect of a team. And, you know, for me, that's a, that's a big part of it. Um, you know, he likes to have feedback from the guys and, and, and see what we think and see how, uh, you know, maybe he can improve, um, maybe how, you know, we can get better collectively as a team. Um, you know, as far as, as coaching style, um, I would say it's, it's very progressive. I mean, the, the formation that we play, the system that we play, it's not anything uh, incredibly new. Um, but certainly the way that we pressure teams is a whole new concept uh, to everyone, you know, on this team. I think in years past we've been a team that's, you know, we've been so talented and we've been a team that's been a, a little bit older uh, on the uh, on the spectrum. Uh, we haven't really been able to press teams as hard as we are now. And so now we get younger, um, you know, we get more aggressive. And that's the type of coach Jesse is. He's an aggressive coach and he wants his players to be aggressive. So, he doesn't want to be a guy that, that sits back and lets teams, uh, you know, dictate how the game is going to go. He wants to be the guy that dictates the tempo of the game. He wants to be the guy that, uh, you know, makes sure that, that his team um, is putting their stamp on the game before the other team. So his uh, his philosophy has trickled down throughout the players. It's, it's, it's kind of a shock to the system when you first hear it because you're so used to doing things a certain way. And then when you hear it, you're like, oh, wow, are we going to be able to do this? But he's a guy who gives you confidence. He gives you belief that every single player on the field is important and that every, every single player is going to have a role to play. And if, if we get to the level that he sees us getting to, uh, we're going to be a very, very tough team to beat in this league. Dak, speaking of that level, you know, Jesse said after the match on Sunday that he felt that that performance was about a four out of the, the 10 that he wanted to be at with the team. And when you, th- when you <laughs> think about the match, um, and and maybe the SKC game uh, a couple of weeks ago as well. Where is it that you personally want to improve? Where, where do you think the team still needs to grow? <laughs> I love that. That's 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 great. You know, we have a a, a great result at home, two zero against our biggest rival, and and you know that was a four out of a ten. I mean, I think that's perfect for you know the type of standards that that he wants to set, and that's great for the players because we'll tell you that we'll tell you the same thing. We're happy with the performance. We're happy with the result, but we can improve. We can get better. Um, I think in the second half, we let DC back into the game a little bit. We we didn't kill off the game early enough. I think our defensive pressure, whether we got tired or maybe a little bit lazy, um, we let them get a little bit more of a rhythm than we wanted. But uh, I think that'll come. That aspect will come with more games as soon as we get fitter. The, the, the area that I want us to improve in is um, you know, just being cleaner on the ball. I think all of us uh, can admit that, you know, we had one or two passes in the game in both games, Kansas City and in, in D.C., where um, it, it's me, it's just simple things, you know, being able to connect passes in the final third. I think that, 
Bradley is such a deadly finisher and he's such a great striker that um, we need to be finding him six or seven chances a game. And if we do that, uh, he's going to finish, you know, he's going to score goals. And that's, that's his job. So I would still like to see our connections in the final third get a little bit sharper. Um, and those are always the last to come. That's always so difficult to, to do um, with a brand new team and, and a lot of new players. But I think you can see the, the relationships between, you know, the outside back and the wingers the central midfielders, the wingers, and the forward. I mean, they're all starting to develop slowly but surely. And I think attacking-wise, um, you can start to see some of the things that we want to accomplish, and I still think that we can go take it another level further. Um, but we need to be cleaner in the attacking third, for sure. Dak, spend a few minutes, if you would, talking about uh, the back line as well. You, you had three players under the age of 24 who were starting, one who was making his first MLS start, and... It seemed as if, as, we, as we've discussed, D.C. probably wasn't its sharpest. But he, yep. these very unheralded players uh, were able, as you said, to really smother D.C. and prevent more than and, you know, one or two decent chances. Could you talk a little bit about how those players came together in order to put together such a great performance? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the defense had a tremendous game. Um, and I think I think the back four deserves a lot of credit. I think Luis deserves a lot of credit because he came up with two really, really big saves. Um, but I think it's more down to, like I've, I've gone back to, it's just down to the team philosophy when it comes to defending. Uh, I think that it not only makes the defender's jobs easier, but it makes everyone's job easier when we defend higher up the field and we try to win the ball back uh, higher up the field. If you let teams get a rhythm and start knocking the ball around on you, then you start getting guys that are one or two seconds late to make a tackle. And once that happens, it's kind of a domino effect. And you start to miss out on tackles, and, and teams start to get a rhythm, and they start to gain confidence. And the way we're playing, we don't want teams to be able to gain that confidence. We want teams to, to, to say, all right, well, we're not going to be able to play against this team, so we're just going to have to dump it forward, kick hopeful long balls, and, and, and hope this team makes a mistake. And, you know, I think we prove that our defenders are more than capable of dealing with that. Uh, when you talk about the, the three young guys, um, I thought they all held their own very well. Um, you know, obviously Chris and Matt, they got some good experience last year, and I think they were uh, very good players for us and a little bit inconsistent. And I think you can see this year um, we expect them to take that next step. We expect them to go to the next level, and that means becoming establishing themselves as, as every game starters and, you know, making sure that that consistency is there game in and game out. And then with Kamar Lawrence, um, you saw in preseason, uh, he's a guy that has a, a ton of belief in himself. He's very quick. He's fast. Um, he's a technical guy. And, uh, you know, he doesn't mind battles. And he's already playing for his national team. At, I think he's, what, 22 years old. So, um, you know, these are just these are just kids that, that are only going to get better. Um, and these guys have a belief in themselves. And I think Jesse has done a good job of instilling confidence in our defenders that say, listen, um, if we believe in this team philosophy, if we really buy into the way that we want to pressure teams and dictate the game, uh, defending is going to become a lot easier for us. And I think personally, I just want to make sure that I mentioned Damian Parnell because personally for me, he's been our best defender this year. He's been a guy that, that is so solid. Um, he's had a great preseason. I know he didn't get much time last year, um, but he's come in and he's had the right attitude and, and, and his quality has really shown through in preseason. And now in the two games that we've played, um, he's been a beast for us. And we certainly need those defenders to step up because I think a lot of guys, you know, they have, there were a lot of question marks around our defense. And hopefully some of those have been answered recently. Dax, it's hard to believe this is your 10th season in MLS. <laughs> and there was a me. lot. 
Yeah. There was a lot made of the trade with DC that brought you here back in 2011, and the tone mm -hmm. of the conversation around that trade has changed from then to now. When you look back at that trade, does it feel any different to you in terms of coming from, from DC to New York? Wow, 10 years. You guys are making me feel old, man. <laughs> um, certainly, I think when the trade first happened, um, you know, personally, it, it caught me off guard. I was, I was shocked. And the reason I say that is because uh, you know, when I went to DC United, I had been on, I had been on one team my whole career. I was on FC Dallas for five years. Um, I didn't even necessarily expect to leave Dallas. Um, but when that happened and I went to DC, you know, I was told, listen, we're going to build this team around you and a, and a couple other young guys. Um, you know, you're a big part of our plans. Uh, we're going to make you captain. Um, this, <laughs> you know, this team is, is, is going to be, uh, you know, an exciting young team for years to come. And I thought to myself, wow, that's, that's amazing. That's exactly what I want to hear. And then as soon as the trade happens, you're thinking, Jesus, I've been here for, I've been here for three or four months and, and this is already happening now. Like, God, I must really suck. So, uh, that, that was, that was a wake up <laughs> call for me. That was something, that was something that was hard for me to take because I think as a player, um, you never want to be traded, uh, and you never want to leave a team after you feel like you have like some unfinished business maybe. And I certainly felt like my time in DC wasn't coming to an end. I thought it was just starting. So it was a little bit surprising for me as I'm sure it was for a bunch of New York fans, you know, there New York is giving up one of the best players in league history for this guy. That's been, you know, kind of a, a young guy who's, who's had some good games, some bad games, pretty inconsistent player. Um, you know, the way I was back in Dallas and, 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 I think people had every right to be a little bit skeptical of it. Um, but for me, the way I looked at it was, listen, I, I believe in myself as a player. Um, I have confidence in my ability. And, and I knew that if I just could get a chance to, uh, you know, settle down in one team and, and establish the way that I like to play and, and the way that I want to play, that uh, I thought people would uh, start to warm up to me a little bit. And hopefully that's the case. Um, you know, you never know. I'm sure there's a, uh, there's a couple of people out there that are still like, God, I, I can't stand this guy Dax. He's terrible. But, uh, hopefully the majority of those people, um, you know, they're, uh, they're happy with the trade. I know I certainly am. This has been, um, I can honestly say, you know, being my time here with the Red Bulls has been the most, uh, enjoyable in my career. Um, it's when I've played my best and I certainly like to think that, you know, we've been very successful, um, you know, in my time here. So, it's something that I'm very grateful for. I'm glad the New York uh, had faith to bring me in, and um, you know we'll see how much longer it lasts. Hopefully for uh, much longer. Definitely, Dax. Before we let you go, uh, I know you said after the match that you gave uh, Matt Miazga a little guff about that penalty call, but I also know that <laughs> you, you've got a long history with Chris Pondia. So did you say anything to him after he shanked the ball into the Passaic? One hundred percent. I was in Pontius's ear the uh, the whole time. Um, and we actually, yeah, I spoke with him recently and it was funny cause he, uh, I thought to myself, if Chris misses this penalty, I don't know why. And he, he told me that was exactly the reason. I mean, I, I think you guys will probably remember in our first, I believe it was 2012, our first leg down in DC. Uh, I, I believe Luis saved Chris's penalty. It was mm -hmm. in the second half. Uh, I believe Chris went low into the keeper's right. So I, I was thinking to myself, I wonder if this is going to be playing in the back of Chris's mind. Um, and I talked to him after the game, and, and he said it certainly was. He said he wanted to try to put it a little bit higher and make it difficult for, for Luis to save it. And, um, you know, that's, that's what happens. Uh, I think Luis has proven over the years that he's a tremendous penalty 
penalty kick stopper. And uh, he's a guy that, that is so tough to score on from, from penalties. I, I think probably only Nick, Nick Ramondo has a better uh, save percentage than Luis does. So I gave Chris a little bit of crap, but, you know, I still love him. I still think he's a good player. Hopefully he doesn't affect him too much. With his next appearance for the New York Red Bulls, Dax McCarty will tie Tab Ramos on, tr- on the all-time appearance list of this franchise in 12th place. Dax McCarty wears number 11 for the New York Red Bulls. Dax, we can't thank you enough for joining us and sharing as you always do, and we'll talk to you as the season goes on. Good luck in Columbus. Thanks for having me, guys. It's a pleasure, as always. More after this, it's Seeing Red at Backheel.com. You're listening to Seeing Red with Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup. Mark Fishkin, Dan Dickinson. Dave Martinez is around here somewhere. I hope he comes back. We'll have to see. Nevertheless, segment three, not just your emails. For 200-plus shows... We've been asking you to send your emails, but now you can do something more. You can give us a call and leave a message and share with us your thoughts on the Red Bulls. We'd love you to do this, folks. It saves us the need to uh, actually go ahead and read them on air, which I don't think anybody likes. So here's the number, 973-602-9161. We'll put it on our Facebook page. We'll put it on our website. We're going to tweet it out on days that we're doing the show. But please, you can send us an email at seeingredny at gmail, or you can just simply leave us a message. And, uh, and then you, if, if, you're, if your point is good enough, your question is good enough, you'll actually just be added to the show. Isn't that fun? So, uh, so here we go. We have, we have a couple of emails. Um, first, it's a friend of the show, Tom Faust. Hello, Dan, Mark, and Dave. In order of the person most likely to absolutely destroy a plate of chicken waffles at Red Bull Arena, uh, my question for you guys is: We saw Dax running all over the place like a madman on Sunday night. Uh, the entire team seems a lot more active, making a lot more runs under Jesse Marsh's system than under Mike Petke. Um, do you have any concerns about long-term fitness for the team and the toll that it will place on these guys? Uh, seems like it's asking a lot more of them. Uh, they've been up to it so far, but it's a long season. Thanks. So we're talking about fitness. We're talking about a lot of running, Dan. This team is going to be doing a whole lot of running over the course of the year, up-tempo. Uh, are, are we going to see some tired legs come the end of the summer? I mean, I'm, I'm sure we will, especially if we're all eating chicken and waffles. I, I just want to be clear. Dave had the chicken and waffles at the game on Sunday. I did not. I, I, Breakfast for dinner. It's it's the most important stand at Red Bull Arena now, I'm sure. Um, but in any case, uh, certainly there will be tired legs towards the end of the year. That's how the season always runs. I think that the two things that are going to help the Red Bulls this year versus trying to pay, play a system like this in past years is that the the team is definitely younger all around. Um, you know, you you've lost some of the the older players like Henri and Cahill and seemingly Peggy. Um, in, in favor of a lot of youth. And uh, the other thing is that I think there's a bit more uh, depth and trust of that depth on the bench. You know, you've got players that we haven't even seen yet, like uh, Leo Stoltz and uh, Sean Davis. Sean Davis, yeah, ready to come in and, and play a role if there are tired legs. And I think that if Jesse can deploy the system in the way that gets everybody on board and not just the, the starting 11 then swapping those parts in and out, you know, it's not just 
tiredness and injury. It's also suspension. It's international call-ups with the Gold Cup coming up this summer. Um, you know, we'll, we'll have to see. It's easy to say that the team has depth and say deepest team ever because I think we've said that most every year. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it, it's definitely a different composition this year, and I think the youth will make it a little bit easier um, if Jesse can get a system together. Well, you know, it's interesting. Today on on the uh, coaches conference call, Piggy was asked about uh, Piggy was asked. Jesse Marsh was asked about Piggy's status, and Marsh was like, "Nope, nothing new to report." So he hasn't retired, but he is not with the team. It's uh, it's got to be a little awkward. I mean, listen, the team's moving on. They're they've got stuff to do. Mm-hmm. I think they would love to have someone like Piggy, especially when you talk about legs getting tired. But I, I don't think they're expecting him to be back at this point. I, I think they're just waiting for him to stop in and sign the papers and move on. But um, you know, I, I agree completely about Stoltz and um. And Davis, in terms of their ability to spell some of these guys, listen. If if Bradley Wright Phillips goes down, and when you think about him being a, an older gent at the age of thirty, at least for a professional athlete, um, with the amount of running that I'm sure Jesse wants him to do, there are going to be days where he's not going to play, where he's going to need a, a day off, mm-hmm. especially during the the number of times a year. Right when the team is going to have to do uh, three games in eight days and things like yep. that, and with the amount of uh, ru- amount of time that that BWP is going to get hacked down, I mean, there's whether a bong is going to be getting some real time instead of just a short amount of time remains to be seen. So, thank you very much, Tom, for our first ever voicemail question. Here is Greg Gomez calling from Brooklyn. Hey guys, what's up? This is Greg from Brooklyn. Uh, quick question. Uh, our last two coaches, Spake and uh, Petke, were defined in part by their substitutions or, or lack thereof. Uh, I'm wondering if you've seen anything in the last two games from Jesse Marsh to make any conclusions about what you think his substitution strategy will be this season. Uh, we had all three subs used in the first match. One of those was forced due to an injury. And we really only had one with Richards coming in on the last game and uh, a bang coming in for a little uh, garbage time action at the end of the match. But do you see anything with these last two games regarding substitutions that you think is worthwhile or worth mentioning? Okay, cool. Thanks a lot. Okay, so we had all the subs in the first game, as Greg notes. Dane Richards came on and I thought was was effective in his minutes that he played. Yeah, he, he definitely looked like he fit back in. Um, you know, tearing up on the left. And, and he and Lloyd Sam, I think, swapped a couple of times during the match. So, you know, it was an effective insertion to, to keep DC pinned back uh, late in the match. Um, I think, general, you know, it, it's obviously a little too early to really speak to what Jesse's sub-strategy looks like. But just looking at the last two games and ignoring the, the garbage time sub that he was yeah. pulling at the end of the DC game, yeah. You know, he seems much more willing to bring on fresh legs just for the sake of bringing on fresh legs. Um, both Baca and Petke uh, had the sort of approach of, if I feel that we're in control of the game, I'm not going to make a sub. Right. And, you know, I'm bringing on Zizo for Grella in the SKC game or Abong for Felipe, like, th- those are more tactical moves. That's not just... We're in control, and I'm going to waste time by by bringing somebody in to run the clock out. 
Um, so I think he may be a little bit more proactive with it, but I'm sure there will be some game where he makes a sub late or somebody disagrees with it and everybody starts wringing their hands because we're very good at that. We are very good at ringing that and uh, doing that, and if, and if, forget it, ringing that. We're very good at doing that, especially when you consider all the things that people had to say was that was wrong. There was there was a a thread on, on a Facebook group this week that was why. So the players came down to the South Ward and gave us all a cheer at the end of the stadium. Why didn't they do that under Petke? <laughs> I, I, why are there so many? Why aren't there as many Saturday night games? Well, what I loved about the the honoring the fans at the end of it, which Louis Robles was uh, uh, said that he engineered because he knew there was a lot of uh, repairing the damage to do with the fans. Um, but I saw some people complaining. Why are they acting like they won the cup? Sh- show oh some God. decorum. <laughs> Walk off the field without sharing any Walk around whatsoever. And but that's it. Don't look at the fans. Just don't make eye contact. The team must celebrate in the manner in which I blank, and that's it. Um, the the one comment I want to make about Greg's uh, note about subs, not just about subs, but about um, passable first team players. Already, we've seen in two games we've seen six players on the on the back line, out of necessity, right? And there's going to be a seventh this week when either Wallace or Connor Laid, if you believe Coach Marchant, no reason not to, is going to play. So in three games, three completely different defensive lineups, you've got Zizzo and Grella doing their thing on the left wing. I mean, I don't know if Dane can go... I'm sure Dane can go a full game, but I I think, um, while he's certainly not as dynamic and goes to goal as well as Lloyd Sam, you could imagine at some point during the season Richards playing instead of Lloyd Sam if Sam needed a rest. So already you're seeing lots of pieces. Now, that's not that triumvirate that we're talking about, and this question's a little similar to the last one, but um, that key key triangle in the middle, but... um, you know, I, th- I think a- a- another thing that Marsh said on the call was, you know, e- our young players are going to be able to contribute this year. And I think he has every intention of plugging guys in during different uh, stages of the season that are not going to be the kind of orange traffic cones that we had under the Hans Baca era. Um, or not really, I, I, it's too soon to say, obviously, but the, kind of the, the trusted guys on, in the Mike Petke administration, right? This is, this is Mars saying we believe in our young guys and we believe that they're going to make a difference for us. So it'll be very inter- interesting to see as the, uh, as the season moves forward. Um, so the rest of uh, our, our emails for the segment are just that, emails and not voicemails. So here is Eddie Mendez, Eddie from Brooklyn, who says, gentlemen, First, I can't tell you how happy I was to hear a show with the original OGs of RBNY last week. Dan, obviously, that's that's no uh, detriment to your own wonderful effort on the show. Now, in the corner. oh no! Now I'm riding ahead of our two-one victory over the scum on Sunday. Note: if I'm wrong, put the blame on uh, put the blame on my jinx. So this was this was before uh, Sunday's match last week. You two spoke about adding a new striker or weapon to the team that can help. Admittedly, that conversation about adding another DP has gone on even longer than that. Luckily, I have the answer: Brian Ruiz. 
Now, this may be biased, but I can't think of a more perfect DP for us. First, he's only 29, so he has plenty to offer long-term. Secondly, he's been desperate to leave Fulham, and will be able to this summer, I believe, on a free. And third, he's versatile and can fill a variety of roles on the team. And finally, he's already been linked to with a move to MLS, with Vancouver being the suitor. <clears throat> I think he would be fit perfectly behind BWP and with Martins sitting deeper than Dax, Sam on the right, and Sastra on the left. Lloyd Sam's hurt? Throw him on the right. Want to make a tactical shift? Throw him up with BWP in a 4-4-2. With Ruiz, the possibilities are endless, and he has no doubt the ability to perform. Now, I don't know who has a discovery claim on him. In fact, I don't know how much how anyone uh, of these MLS scouting geniuses were able to discover a hidden gem like Brian Ruiz, but what do you guys think? Does this not make sense? Love the work you do and look forward to the next 200 episodes. Eddie from Brooklyn. Do you watch a lot of Fulham, Dan? I do not, unfortunately. He certainly sounds dreamy, doesn't he? I, I recall he played uh, pretty well the, the couple of times I've seen him. So um, he, he definitely sounds dreamy, but most most DPs people are scouting and proposing sound dreamy. Um, he's certainly a, a known attacking player. Um, he's still very active in CONCACAF. And co- co- I can't recall if he got much time during the World Cup or not uh, in that Costa Rica squad that uh, made that great run. Right. But um, yep. he certainly a player in that system generally. So, you know, it, it's it's always good in theory, but I think we were all saying it's not a good in theory for Josie to come back too. Um, and we all know where he ended up. So Yes. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, he's the captain of the Costa Rican national team, which is ascendant in CONCACAF and in the FIFA rankings. So <clears throat> I would say why not? But I'm sure... Uh, the folks already have some targets set up, and the team, at least after two games, folks, and we know we're not crowning anybody in, in March in MLS, but they, they seem to have gotten off to a good start. Here is Louis Altine, who I believe is writing for the first time. To the entire Seeing Red team, first I'd like to say you have enjoyed your podcast for the last four years, and you guys are doing an outstanding job. Oh, I have a few suggestions for improvement or new segments. Interesting. I think you should add a media watch segment to your podcast. You all know that the Red Bulls won yesterday. For some reason, this was not mentioned on many sports segments in the local media. Off the top of my head, it was not mentioned on 1010 Wins. However, the blue team was mentioned in their home opener. Also, AM New York, a free morning paper, did not mention it as well. And again, they had an article on the blue team last Monday. What is, what is going on, I have to ask? Just asking. Last week... You mentioned we were holding to the Metro Star's name as a way to gain more popularity with soccer purists. I think this is a bad idea. The Metro Stars were an embarrassment to MLS. And at one time, they were the laughing stock of the league. The Red Bulls rebrand made sense and gave us our only major trophy to date. Keep up the good work. FYI, the Red Bulls win was written in the New York Times, but what sports fan reads the Times for sports? Louis Altine, Red Bull supporter and soccer ref. I think, uh, I don't know if we need to do a media watch. I know over the years we've asked listeners to write one particular media property and ask for Red Bull's coverage. I think everyone can agree that a two-team city will uh, lift all boats regardless. Um, what, the Metro Stars were, the, were an embarrassment to the league, Dan Dickinson? What are your thoughts on that? I think I'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole. I think that's probably right. <laughs> Last, I don't think there's anything. I'm not. Yeah. One minute. Okay. Thank you for that. <clears throat> Thank you for sharing, Lewis. Uh, the one last email, which is an absolute novel, which I will not read all of them, is Mario Nuno Rico, who sits in Section 201. 
I'm going to read his random ramblings because uh, the other pieces are also rambling and too long. Four points. A big thank you for the supporters groups for doing the right thing and not taking the protests out on the players on the field. Kudos all around. I think we have to agree on that. Uh, the Red Bull front office for putting supporters group signs at the entrance of the South Ward. Impressive. They are actually trying. I'll take it. I think the notion that the FO was not trying to get along with the supporters group is not correct at all. I think it was uh, – I thought, I thought it was a nice touch for the members of the South Ward. I think they got a lot out of it uh, and were impressed by it. Three, Dane Richards. Love to see him run out there in the second half and then equally as sad to see nothing has changed. Ooh. I like Dane. I really do. But has there ever been a player that wins more balls because of his speed and then has no idea what to do with the ball at his feet more than Dane? Thoughts on that, Dan? Um, you know, he tried to get in a couple of foot races with Sean Franklin. Um, and I thought for a second he was going to win them. But, you know, Franklin is a, a best 11 defender for a reason. I think 2007 Dane Richards might have had uh, some more luck. Maybe. So, last, certainly not least, Jesse Marsh. Listen, all the Petke allegiance aside, and make no doubt about it, I love Mike Petke. But I think deep down, most Red Bull fans can admit that he was, tactically speaking, not the best option as coach. These guys played for him over the past two seasons. His fire drove the team. That was obvious. With Henri gone, there just wasn't enough talent on this team to just win one for Mike. There just wasn't. So all Red Bull front office fumbles aside, I think they handled this all wrong with Mike. I'm starting to think that if they had to go down the way it did, we probably couldn't ask for a better fit than Jesse. Though through everything he's done, a good, although everything he's done, a good job to connect to the fans, and he has his team looking sharp. I know it's still super early in the season, but so far so good. Kudos, Jesse. Um, I, I think certainly Jesse went a long way in impressing the Red Bull fans with the team that was out there on the field. Uh, the differences between Petke's coaching style and Marsh's coaching style, I think you heard quite a bit of that in Dax's interview. I think Dax was downright effusive uh, for his new coach. I think most of the players have been, if you talk to them. Um, you know, nobody is... Nobody in the locker room seems terribly hung up on this, uh, and that may be partially because it's a business and this is a club that's seen sort of constant turnover and everybody knows that's how it goes. But most everybody is pretty jazzed to be working under Jesse. Um, I, I may have had somebody say night and day to me while I was asking about the differences. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I get the, the fan attachment to Petke, um you know, I understand what he means to everybody in his history with the club. And those last two years, you know, he did incredible things uh, running this club. But it, it is very hard to compare two coaches um, like that. So different. Yeah, so different. And, you know, I've, I've, seen, I've seen some of the match reports from our, our friends at Metro Fanatic uh, after the, the first two games of the season where they're like, yeah, you know, it, it was fine or it was good, but, you know, we've beat DC 2 nothing before. And we did, the, the last DC game at home, actually, we beat right. 2 nothing. So right. what, what is this different? What, what did this change actually get us? And, I, I, you know, I think that's sort of a very short-sighted view of trying, yes. to, trying to take the whole thing in. If you think back to the, the two years under Petke, in 2013, they didn't win their first game until, what was it, four games in? Yes. And the last year last it was, year was seven. seven games. Yeah. And and Jesse's done it in two. And yep. that you know, that's something. Um now, 
you got to take the long view. You got to look at the whole season. Um, you, you know, it's week three, or I guess we're in week four now. Um, you should not be proclaiming from the high heavens because you're near the top of the table. Um, it's a long year and there's lots to do. But I think that the how Jesse has the team performing right now should give people hope. Yeah, I, I don't. Again, and uh, I'm hoping that we talk about this less and less as the season goes on. I have a sense that we will. I, I don't think it was not necessarily about a lack of hope. I think um, I think people just like their guy, and uh, I think we can all agree what was done was incredibly sudden and brash, and it was a very clean cut uh, made for a reason. And if anything, I think Jesse has impressed. Although it took him a minute to realize he was supposed to take the Southward scarf and put it on. <laughs> he had to pick it up and put it on. But it was his first time. He'll get it. Dan Dickinson calls Saturday's match at 7.30 from Mafra Stadium. Is that right? Mafra. 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 A 1-1 draw. I'm going to call it a 2-1 Red Bulls victory for Dave Martinez. For Dax McCarty and Dan Dickinson, I'm Mark Fishkin saying thank you so much for listening to this episode of Seeing Red. We'll be back next week, folks. Good night. This has been Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup on Backheel.com. Listen anytime on iTunes, Stitcher, and SeeingRedNY.com.